Every time. Makes me want to hug Casey. That's all it does every single time. Well, hey, welcome to Kensington. My name is Drew Daniels. I work with our young adults ministry uh, called 18 to 29. Uh, Very excited to be up here with all of you. I just want to say welcome if you are a family member or a friend and you're here on Thanksgiving weekend. We just want to say, hey, we're so glad that you are here today. Well, hey, how many of us feel like our life is the life on the bench, right? Any self-narrators in the house here? You have to narrate all your life because you have so many things to manage. And there's some of us in here where we have different levels of worry. We worry maybe too much. It's all we can do in our life. And I think for some of us, others of us, like I, I, I might fall in this category. Some of us are a little more chill and go with the flow. And there's a select few things that make you worry like crazy. For me, one thing I worry about like crazy about is my job. And so, you know, one, one, one question that Jesus asked is we're in this series called questions that not today, Satan, not blowing my papers off this service. All right. <sighs> Sorry, just got to move this out of the draft. All right. Got my eyes on you. So, so the one question that Jesus asked that I think so many of us, when we hear this question, we don't really like the answer to the question that Jesus gives. I know I don't like the answers to the question that Jesus gives. And he asks this question. He says, why do you worry? Why do you worry? And it's like, of course, just stop. And Jesus says, of course, your life's more valuable than the birds. Just don't worry. And it's like, are you kidding me? Anybody in here and you know this, I don't even have to tell you this. It's like the only antidote that we feel for our worry in our life is to have control over the situation. When we have control, all of a sudden now we feel like we can put our mind at ease. And so just to not worry about it, it doesn't make sense to us. In fact, even science says that worrying doesn't do anything for us. It doesn't add any hours to our life. In fact, it only steals time from us today. And so it's interesting with Thanksgiving weekend, have you found it ironic that Thanksgiving only gets one weekend and Christmas gets two full months? Have you noticed this? That the day after Halloween now, of course, Christmas is being celebrated. Thanksgiving gets one weekend. And the day of Thanksgiving that should bring us more joy because we're being thankful. And even science says the more thankful you are, the more joy you have in your life. The one day that we have, we give it with this cheap celebration of I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for this. But do we really like sit down and carve out time and really count our blessings and sit there and remember the ways that God has blessed us and remember the things that we actually do have in our life instead of just saying it one time. And then we spend the other two months worrying about how we don't have enough money or worrying and there's this final, this tis the season to worry about the numbers that we need to have in our, our life together by the end of the year or for our job or for the next year to plan the vacations for summer. We begin to worry at this time of year. And it's interesting what God does in the scriptures, specifically in the Old Testament. There is one event that happens in the Old Testament that is mentioned 87 times in the following centuries in which it happened. And that one event is the event where God rescued the Israelites and took them out of Egypt and into to the wilderness and, into, and finally into the promised land of Israel. And that event is mentioned 87 times that God constantly says, remember how I delivered you from Egypt? Don't you remember what I've done for you? There's this doctrine, this idea of remembrance that God really cares about. And every single time the Israelites, they would worry. They'd just be like, God, where are you? I don't know. He's like, didn't I tell you? Be strong, be brave. Do you remember when I led you by the hand out of Egypt? And it would be centuries later. And so that's why for us, even too, we understand this by what Jesus did on the cross. We remember what he did for us and how he saved us and brought us from darkness and into life because there's some 
something so powerful that when I remember that I am loved, when I remember who I am in Christ, not because of anything that I've done, but because of everything that he has done, that it's more powerful for us to remember and remember rather the past and what God has done for us instead of just worrying about the future. And so there's a few different types of worry that we have in our lives. The first one is that we worry over what we want. All of us do this. You do this. I do this. We worry over that which we want for our life, the promotion that's going to come our way. If we're going to meet our career goals, we worry over about wanting to have the perfect little family unit. Anything that we want, we worry about it. In fact, I think about LeBron James. If LeBron James only had one title to his name, great basketball player, he would be considered a disappointment because the expectation on his career is that he should be at least have six because Michael Jordan had six. So he has three now and people are questioning if he's good enough and he's one of the best. That's our life. That's the, that's the voice of our culture that talks about worry. It says we worry about the things that we want because we're afraid of missing out. And we do, in fact, I would say this, we worry more, uh, or sorry, we place more value on what we want than what we have. The rarely do we sit down and count the blessings of our life while we have them. In fact, I'll even say it this way. We, we appreciate a thing's value before we have it or after it's gone. We only appreciate something before we have it or after it's gone, right? And we have this severe case of the grass is always greener on the other side. For me, like when I was dating my wife at the time, before when I was single, all I wanted to do was be with somebody, then I was with somebody, and then time happened, and then your heart kind of gets checked out, and you get in fights. And so when we were dating, we broke up for a few months, and it was those few months that made me want to get married because I realized how much I wanted her in my life because it was after I was gone. Rarely. Do we appreciate a thing's value until it's gone or until we yet to have it? But never are we pining after something while or during we have it. And, you know, I even think, uh, you know, about this way. Is that if you're, a, if you're unknown, you want to be famous in this life. If you are as famous and a celebrity, you want to become more unknown. If you are single, you want to become Uh, one with somebody else and get married. If you are married, you want to have elements of your life that you're single again. When you are a kid, you want to have freedom of choice and responsibility. And then when you're an adult, you don't want to go home and make any decisions and have any responsibility. Is that all of us, we appreciate the things that we don't have yet or we used to have. And rarely do we sit down and carve out time to actually be thankful for what we have. And I think that we do this with God, don't we? All of us, we do this with God. We look at him and we're like, man, I need this answer from you in my life. I need this God-sized miracle. I need a breakthrough from you. And before we get this breakthrough, God-sized miracle in our life, it's like we're in the sanctuary at a midweek and it's arms of Palooza. It's like, God, I need you. I need this answer. This situation happened in my life. This person's leaving me. I'm fearful of my job. I'm fearful of how I'm going to provide. And I'm worrying, I'm worrying, I'm worrying. And so God, I cling to you. And then maybe we get the answer. We get the breakthrough. We get the God-sized miracle that we were looking for and we enjoy it. And then what happens? Time happens. Time happens. And so then we begin to check out our heart and we get accustomed to this. And so then all of a sudden we find ourselves out of that answer, the breakthrough or the God-sized miracle. And we look back to that season of our life and just go, God, like, I want this back. Where did this go? This used to be so amazing. Me and you were so close. We were tight. We were boys. And now I'm on the other side of it. And we appreciated it only because we don't have it anymore. And then God's looking at us and he's like, man, but you never really learned how to trust me in that process. 
It's like you were depending on having the feeling of not worrying anymore, and you never learned how to walk daily without worrying anymore. You cared more about the feeling in your life than you cared about the act of surrender when it was hard. And so then you come into this song, and we're singing songs like, Ocean, you know, you call me out upon the waters. Or, you know, Spirit, leave me with where my trust is without borders. And we come in here, and we're singing these songs. And it's like, we're like, yeah, Spirit, leave me where my trust has some borders. <clears throat> and me walk upon the waters. Hey, yeah, I can do that. Um, some places that you could call me. <laughs> and that's us. That's so us. It's like, man, God. I want to feel amazing and to tell you how amazing I feel, but to to really follow you and actually surrender my worry to you every day? I mean, I don't really know how to do that because I need more control in my life. I need to get my fingers on it. If I can't, I can't just give this to you. And of course, then we're left with this problem. Like, well, how do I not worry anymore? And Jesus just tells me not to. It doesn't make sense. And so this is all about the things that we want for our life. But then there's a whole other category of worry that's called The what if. We worry more about what if than what is. Is that we, if you're a mom in here, you are a part-time mom and a full-time worrier. Is that we constantly worry about the what if of people in our life or the what if I can't provide in my life. And if it's out of our control, if it's not under our control, it's out of our control and we can't do anything about it. So I had this, this question, and before I get there, um, I want to give an encouragement and a shout-out. If you are 65-plus years old, I just want to say, y'all are my homies. <laughs> you guys are my people, and here's why. Because you guys are the most loving. When I step out of that lobby, if I get off the stage, you're like, man, you're so amazing, young man. You know, I may be 65-plus years of age, but, man, you're just so amazing. <laughs> and uh, the one thing, though, that I always hear is this. It's so funny. You just go, you know— I don't always understand your lingo, but I like you. You're a good guy. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. You know, we have something in common because I don't understand how you walk uphill both ways to school. It's geographically impossible. It doesn't make sense. So I'm going to use an example that maybe some people don't understand, but here's my question to you. How many of you in here, when you were a kid, had a terrifying basement? Like it was, it was so scary. And the moment that you turn those lights off, you begin to run. You begin to, you think, you think a demogorgon live in your basement. I thought Satan himself lived in my basement. And so you're bounding up the stairs on all fours, trying to get away because Satan's going to claw up his hand, man. And he's afraid of the light. So don't worry. He's not going to chase you upstairs. And so the funny thing is it didn't matter how stupid this was, or maybe it's a man with a knife. You never know. You never realize how stupid this was. But the more you think about it in those moments, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is real. There's a guy with a knife and he lives in my basement. And isn't that funny that the moment that you begin to worry about something or fear it, you begin to believe that that outcome is true. You feel me? That when you begin to think about it, you convince yourself that it's true. I'll give you a real one in my life. Um, so one time, I, 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 one of my irrational fears in my life is actually that every conversation, married people, you know where I'm going, every conversation with my wife is the last conversation I'm having with my wife. It's like something's gonna happen. I could be in the worst fight and slam the door and be like, ah, I love you. I just want to let you know I love you. It's really icy outside. I just wanted to say, okay, bye. You know, like that's, that's how I feel. And I'm like always scared. So I always say like, I love you is my last words. There was one time when we were dating 
And uh, she lived like 30 minutes away and she was going home. It was a really stormy windy day. Power lines are falling over. So she's starting to drive home and it's been like 30 minutes and it takes long, just as long as that. And I'm like, oh man. And so I call her, no answer. I call her again, there's no answer. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm starting to freak out. I call her again, no answer. And it's been like 40, 45 minutes. And all of a sudden I'm just beginning to worry. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And so then I text her dad, my father-in-law now. And I was like, hey, did Natalie make it home okay? Is she okay? And he goes, oh no, son. I was like, is everything okay? He goes, oh, son, it doesn't look good. I was like, what? Is everything okay? He goes, don't worry, I'm, I'm going out to get her right now. And I was like, <sighs> and then he just texts, ha, 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 ha. So he got me. And so I married his daughter. Okay. <laughs> ah, got him. Um, <laughs> oh man. So good. Uh, I love you, dad. Uh, but man, I think what I'm trying to say is though, and you know how this goes, is that when you worry about something, you begin to convince yourself that the outcome is true. And it's funny, even since then, like I'll stay up at night and I'll like imagine if my wife died and think about her funeral, what song they'd play, you know, like there's all these weird scenarios. And I think this is so silly, but I think so many of us do this with the much deeper fears of our life is that we begin the what if train and then we begin to convince ourselves that the outcome is true. Is it, what if I can't do this and I can't nail this interview, nail this test, I can't nail this job performance, I can't do it. And so you begin to worry about it and you begin to convince yourself that you can't do it and you rob yourself of confidence. Or you begin to worry if people, if people are gonna love me and people's approval. And so then you begin to believe that people don't love you and don't think well of you. Or what if my kids, what if my kids, what if my kids don't love me? Well, what if my kids, what if, ah, what, what more about my kids? What if they don't follow God? Like, what if my kids, and then you begin to worry that outcome is true. And so what do you try to do? You try to control, you know? I think in my life, for me, I've, I've never really had the voice of worry in my head in so many areas. Um, but one area I've always had it, even since a young boy, and maybe this is some of you, and I don't know why God has this thorn in my flesh, but for me, my area of worry has always been when it comes to like, what if God isn't as real as I thought he was? I'm like, that's, that's something I struggle with. You want to give my life to Jesus? Like, I've seen the miraculous. I've seen him move in perfect. Like, I've seen him move in power. I've seen him, his hand work. I know that he's there. I've seen him work. But yet there's always that what if. And so when I begin to worry about that, I begin to convince myself that that outcome is true because I feed that worry. So I actually took these three courses, and I think I've shared this maybe some other places, but I took three courses when I was at Michigan State from an atheist professor, awesome guy, and uh, he just presented the Bible in a different way that maybe I had never heard before. And it rattled my cage. And I walked home and it was the first ever and the only panic attack I've ever had in my entire life. Because what if God wasn't as real as I thought it was? What if he's this construct that all of us made up and we're all just crazy and we're all trying to make sense of all these things that have happened in history. And so I fed that worry and I began to convince myself this outcome is true. And how many of us in our life, wherever we are, we begin to convince ourselves of outcomes that are true just because we fed ourselves the worry, thinking that it's going to help us to worry, not really thinking it's going to help us, but we do it anyways. And so we worry over the what if in our life. In fact, the number one worry that most of us have in this room is our money. 70% of Americans Their number one concern is their money. Can they provide? Can they support the lifestyle that they have? Am I going to have enough? And Jesus, he hits money head on when he teaches. 
Jesus, when he talks about money, it's what he starts to talk about when he starts his ministry. Jesus was from a town called Nazareth in a region that's called Galilee. And he starts his ministry in the region of Galilee. And Galileans, uh, Bible scholars believe that Galileans are more poverty stricken than even we thought that they were. Nine out of every 10 Galileans lived at a little bit above or a little bit below the subsistence level for living, meaning they, the, the level of survival of resources and goods. And so Jesus is ministering and talking to all these people who are trying just to live on food and water and clothing. And he, he gathers all these people to him and he begins to teach about money. And so this is what he begins to talk about money. He says, hey, don't lay up your treasures in in, on this earth where the moths can eat them and the rest will decay your treasures and people could steal it from you and it's just temporary. Rather, store up your treasures in eternity where it can't be destroyed because wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And so where is your treasure? And then he drops this bomb of a statement. This is where we pick up. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money meaning mammon. The word mammon means riches. He said, you can't serve both. You can't pledge your allegiance and be a slave and obey one master because you'll just hate, love one and despise the other. I saw this quote that said, the man who loves the wor- world will even in the midst of lip homage, lip service to God, saying how awesome he is, will hate the service of God in his inmost heart. It's because it's taken away from the, his, his or her real pursuit of what they want because their treasure is here on the earth and that's all that they're trying to accumulate in this world. And all of us are guilty. I'm guilty of this too. And so what Jesus is saying is where our devotions are, our emotions are. Where the thing that we are most devoted to in this world is that which we worry about most and our emotions are tied into it. And so if we feed the worry of the money, then that means that that's where our devotion is. That's the master that we're serving is because we're more worried about the money in this world. And of course, it's how we survive. And so that's a little bit normal. But still, he's saying, I want you to be a slave of obedience to the master where your heart is going to be with eternal treasure. So Jesus picks up, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or take no thought about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And I love this. It's so good. Come on. Is not life more than food? Is not life bigger, better? Is not life the thing that's been given to you? Isn't life better than the things that are inside of life and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And so Jesus is saying, life is, is incredible and amazing. And we're focused on the things inside of life. Have you ever seen a bird try to earn his keep? Do you notice that your dog never goes hungry and all he has to do is be a good boy? That's why so many cats starve. And so Jesus is saying, man, I have a cat. I'm unashamed. So Jesus is saying, 
Life is so much bigger than this picture. And what if you remembered and paused for a moment to think, you're so much more valuable than a bird or a fox. And so he's just kind of painting this picture. And I think when we see this, our literal 21st century American mind, and I do this too, and even like, like beginning to look at this passage in a deeper way, we just go, but wait, there are people who are hungry. There are people who are starving. People die every day. Bad things happen all the time to perfectly good people. I don't understand how Jesus could do this. And I, what, I, what I've realized, especially whenever you read Jesus, is that it's not this hard and fast operating system of how God works every single exact time, but rather it's Jesus extracting meaning from the heart of a father that he is in relationship with. And so he's saying, you're far more valuable to the father who loves you. And guess what? what? You're alive. If you are hearing me talk to you, you're living. You're not dead. And so if you're worried about tomorrow and everything that could happen, how many times did you worry about that yesterday and the day before? And here you are. You don't have to worry because if he did it once and you can try, because he's done it before that he desires and loves you more than birds to do it again and do it over and over again. So he continues on, he says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his or her span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? He's saying, Worry can't add any time to your life. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says this way, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it only empties today of its strength. Is that worrying robs us of our life. It steals time away from us. Science knows this, doctors knows this, you know this, I know this. Do you realize when Jesus said, the enemy of your soul has only come to kill, steal, or destroy And so if the enemy of your soul cannot kill you, then he will steal from you. The enemy, do you realize that Satan or the enemy of your soul, they can't go in your house and open up your safe and steal your stuff and take it away from you. But man, he's going to make you worry about whether or not you're going to get more stuff. Do you realize that Satan, if God chooses to bless you and give you something in this life, that Satan can't come up and take that blessing from you? He can't. He can't remove that from you, but he's going to make you worry about whether or not God loves you enough to even bless you in the future. Even you, even if it's not Satan or the enemy, even you, do you realize that you can't stop God's grace from loving you because he did not even spare his own son to win you back into relationship with him. But yet Satan's going to make you worry about whether or not God loves you enough and he died for you. It's like, what? The enemy of your soul will steal from you. And even our own thought, the voice of worry inside of our head is going to rob us from a life and an intimacy with God. And so we need to practice the art of remembering in our life, of of God reminding us to remember the things that which we have, not after they're gone, not before they come, but as they're happening in this life, to remember all the things that, yes, he did do, and because he did do them once, that he desires to do them again. I think about my life when it comes to money. Man, I have struggled on the bus of finances, making like nothing. I worked at Forever 21. It was miserable. And I grinded away, making nothing. 
I still make nothing. You know, in ministry, we just have burning money parties. You're welcome to come. I, and so if I believe, and, and of course God has provided, but, but, but because he's provided and I'm here and I'm living and he's, he's always blessed me. If he has done it again and I choose to trust him, it's because he will do it again. If I, when I am thankful and I remember what I have had, I will trust him for what I will have. Come on, who needs some hope in here today? That because Jesus died for you one time, that you know he loves you, that he, you can know that he's going to show you his love again because he didn't spare his own son for you. I don't have to worry about my future kids screwing up because I screwed up. I messed up. I did stuff wrong in my life. So I don't have to worry because God rescued me. And if he rescued me, then he can rescue my kids too. I don't have to worry about him feeding me. He can feed a bird. He can feed me. He can clothe a lily. He can give me a huge t-shirt. And some of you in here are like, that's great, Drew. Rah, rah. You went a little thug on me for a second, but I still love you. And I think some of us are like, okay, that's awesome, man. Like, I believe that that's, <laughs> I believe that that's true in my life. I believe that that's true what God does. But I just want to control my worry. That's all I want to do. And I just want to say this is that I don't pretend to know what's going on for some of you. If you really do, do struggle with anxiety, deep fear, crippling. I don't pretend to know because I know that it's crippling. And maybe that's a thorn in the flesh for you as well. But I, I can't offer you one thing that I think, God, maybe we can put into practice in our life because at the end of the day, it's always going to be choosing to trust him no matter what. It's going to not be listening to the voice of worry or what the enemy tries to put in our mind or the lies that he wants to feed us, but rather it's going to be following the voice of truth about who God is and how he provides. And so I love the story in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Daniel. It's about three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they refuse to worship the gods of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so they say, we'll die for this because we're not going to bow down. And so they're about to be thrown in the fire. And I want you to pay attention to the words that come up on the screen and I want to make sure that you hear them because they're amazing and they say that it says this Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter if we are thrown into the blazing furnace the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and what? He will deliver us from your majesty's hand and come on, don't miss this. But even if he does not, come on, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And so in your life, if you simply can't trust because it may not always have, or you're, you're, you're on the cycle of logic that says not, God doesn't always just do this. Then I want you to pray this prayer of trust between you and God that says he can and that he he will deliver me. But even if he doesn't, he's still worthy and good because that's who he is. And he's provided for me in the past and I don't deserve to be here. And then he's given me gifts that I shouldn't get, but he can and he will because he loves me. I'm more valuable than the lily, than flowers and birds. And so he can, will, and he, even if he doesn't, that God is still good in my life and I will choose to lay down for him. Because the last thing I want in here is for us to get mad at the promises that we have made for God that he never made. I think it's so easy for, for someone like me to get up here 
and overpromise you what God's going to do in your life. But life is long. The race is long. Following Jesus is hard. And that's why we always have to come and pray, pray a prayer of God. You can. I believe that you will. And even if you don't, because you're good. And in Romans 8, it says this, and this is a promise that God has made. And it may not feel like it, and it may not seem like it. It says that God works for the good of all those who love him. That he works all things to the good of those who love him. And we don't know what that means, but in the beloved, in Jesus, because what he has done, especially in eternity, if we have loved him, then everything, all things will work out for our glory. And we will look back in eternity and be like, God, you were working in that. And I appreciate you and love you even more for how truly good I see the real you is. That all things will always work out for our good because he is able. He will deliver. And even if he doesn't, he's still good. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you in a posture of trust and laying down our lives to you, saying that you can, that you will. And even if you don't, that you're still worthy. You deserve our praise because you've given us life and life is so much more than the things inside of life, the successes of life, the failures of life, that life itself is such a blessing because we get to experience who you are and your nature and the way you've created this world and everything that we enjoy, music, everything comes from your heart because it's an attribute of who you are. And so if we enjoy things in this life, it's because that is who you are, God. And that's your creative nature. And so life itself is such a gift. And if God, I just ask that we would be reminded to remember your goodness in our life and to sit, to sit down and just count our blessings, Lord, because we need to have you. We need to have you in it. The substance belongs to you, Jesus. And Jesus, even you had such anxiety in the Garden of Gethsemane that you sweated blood and you asked the Father not to do as, as you will, but as he would. And so even us, even God, I would ask that we would align our will to yours. Because you can and you will, and even if you don't, you're still good. And we love you in your name. Amen. So in this moment, uh, we actually want to receive our offering. And as the ushers come down, for me and my life, I always worried about money. And I, I actually like really held back giving to God because I was like, I can't afford this. I can't do this. There's no wiggle room in my budget. And I think about this parable, that, the story that Jesus tells about the woman. This person comes to the synagogue, they drop a massive offering down. And then a woman comes in and she gives two coins. And Jesus looks at his followers and he says, I tell you, this woman has given more because it wasn't about the amount. It's not about the number. God doesn't need your number. What God needs is your heart and your, your act of trust to give, to give generously to him because he's the one who provided it in the first place. And so it's interesting as I actually began to give, yeah, God provided through that. I'm not saying that that always happens. But what happened was, is that it changed my heart posture to trust him in ways that I hadn't before in this area and arena of my life. It was a, a posture of humility to say, God, that this is yours. It's not mine anyways. And so that's why we receive our offerings so that hopefully for some of us in here, it's a posture of trusting God. I'm going to trust you in this area of my life. And for me, I actually give online so it repeats every month because I know that temptation that I'm like, I don't want to do this because I'm afraid. So if you're like me, I just need to encourage you that you can give online. And if you're, you're watching online, you can also give online as well. But if you're a guest here with us, there's no pressure to participate. We, you can let this moment pass. And in fact, we'd love to see you at starting point. So I think for so many of us in this room, 
As I said, we have deep fear and anxiety, and I don't pretend to know what you're going through. But if you feel like that maybe today's words spoke to you, we're going to show a video, and I want you to begin to identify all of the worry that you have and speak it out loud in your mind as you're watching this, because there are awful situations that are happening, and I, I would never want to diminish those, because God knows, and he is there inside of it. So why don't you join me in watching this, and maybe you can identify some fears that are going on in your life. Let's check this out. <laughs> 